This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia ora and welcome to episode 163 of the Half Wishes Podcast. I'm once again joined by my friend and co-host, Mr. Paul Kanawa. How you doing, pal? Kia ora, Dan. I'm good. How are you going? I look, I'm I'm getting by. It's been a it's been a very busy month. There's a, a lot of holidays here in April. We've, we've had the Easter break. We're about to have Anzac. It's been my birthday. It's it's all adventures. Turn 30, I understand, Dan. Many happy returns. Thank you, thank you. It's it's tough being the big three O, but um, I've learned a lot from the years of you know I had above thirty, and now I'm putting back into being thirty. So correct. Would um, would you go back, Paul? if you could re- well, if you could if you could go back to an age, would you do it? That is a really fascinating question. I loved childhood, uh, so I could quite happily go back to sort of age five to 11 that was just the world was just there was just no stress and it was all just football transformers and lego i mean i just absolutely loved that age but i was look back on everything i feel like the last 10 10 years have been actually the most the best i really do so that's a really interesting reflection because obviously I'm a little bit older now than I was, you know, in the 20s and 30s. And yet this last 10 is probably the top. Mm, it's tough, right? And it's tough because, like, would you go back and you've got this new knowledge and then, you know, things might be worse. But actually, you know, it's, it's, getting, too, it's getting too deep, Paul. This is, this is not what this podcast is about. It's, a, it's, it's about what... It's about what have you been watching? What have you been doing? Like it is, it yeah. is. It's not. I, I would just add one little thing. It, as long as it's not the teenage years, I really didn't. I oh, didn't yeah. get much. Out. It's not for me. It's too much awkwardness yeah. and too much. Yeah, and, and the reality of understanding that. Oh my goodness, I'm going to have to get a job at some point. I also feel too tired to go back to my twenties as well. Like I feel tired thinking about it. So it, oh, it's either yeah. going to be like back in the days of like, as you say, like sort of that early kind of school where. Sorry for the teachers that are listening, but like where it doesn't, nothing really matters. Like nothing matters, you know. Like, yep. like here's a picture of a cat that I made. Here's like a nail I've banged into a bit of wood, you know. Like they were the good days. <laughs> I'd love to see those pictures, then. You know, I've got them, Paul. What have you been watching this week? Okay, so a couple of things to talk about this week, as well as our joint reviews, which I'm really looking forward to talking about The Mandalorian with you, plus our movie of the week, of course. But I do have two movies for you this week. First up, 2022 movie, Moonfall. Get your get your popcorn, turn the volume up, and strap in. And honestly, I, this is some Friday night fun right here. And I tell you, this movie is rating pretty poorly across most critic reviews i've looked at so it's a five on imdb but let me let me convince you otherwise so a mysterious force knocks the moon from its orbit and sends the moon hurtling on a collision course course towards earth uh so going into this i i knew this movie was never going to be a classic because of the type of genre of film that it is it never can be but i love this genre every now and then once every couple of years give me a good disaster movie and who better 
than Roland Emmerich as as you look back at his movies in this genre his back catalog he, he is a specialist in in this type of thing and i really appreciate someone that specializes in this type of thing because you know whether it's you know godzilla day after tomorrow independence day whatever it is he just does it so well and i thought this was a cracking good time you're me dan classic half measure you know classic classic it's, it's like i'm at work you know I mean? <laughs> yeah i'm always on me at work that's a default position it's um it's funny because you've nominated this movie for movie of the week i think twice now and uh <laughs> and, and every time the small council is like not today son not today and i, I think it has been those and particularly the the rotten tomatoes review kind of um is is not looking the freshest but in saying that, I I think the cast does look interesting, like Patrick Wilson, John Bradley. Um, I'm I'm in, I'm intri- I'm intrigued, um, and I'm intrigued to see what type of rating you might sort of give this film and kind of where it stacks up. Yeah, I um, it's an interesting one actually. You mentioning that I've sort of put it up twice. It's kind of like a so when you just to step away from that for a second, Dan. When you and I put movies forward for movie, we we send each other two movies before the weekend and you know you choose whichever and it's kind of like if you send a movie through twice it's almost like a it's a passive aggressive come on man look i've given this to you twice why aren't you choosing this movie and i i love it when you say no again it's kind of like you're saying look i told you once i'll tell you twice i'll tell you three times if i have to i'm not watching this movie but honestly it, this is not classic but this is if you're in the mood ever for a disaster film and a bit of sci-fi because it's really mixing some great genres together patrick wilson in this movie is really really good i would i would put his performance in this movie right up there with his performances for example in in the conjuring um halle berry is solid um you've got donald sutherland coming in a cameo uh, michael Payne is a cameo really but the standout for me in this movie actually is is john bradley um as as casey heisman in this movie and he is someone who I'm guessing you'll know quite well from Game of Thrones, Jen. That's correct. Yeah, he's terrific. And he adds, this is really a really specific thing to say, but he adds like a Simon Pegg comedy that he adds to Mission Impossible, if you like. This sort of like, he just, he glues the the two together. Um, That being said, this movie is a good 30 minutes too long. Um, so it's got a, a runtime coming in of just over two hours and I have a solution to fix it. The beat story in this film that has massive amounts of, I don't care factor. And this is what you typically get. And this is possibly why I don't like it in a disaster type movie. The B plot is the, so you've got your heroes over here and then the B plot, you've got the family who are on the run, they're trying to survive. You know, the kids have been separated. How are they going to get back together? There's bad people out there who are trying to take advantage of a disaster like this. They're looting. There's nothing new here. And it's about a third of the film. And I'd say, cut that out. Give me a movie that's an hour 45. And this would get an extra gun from me. Well, I was going to say that sort of with knowing nothing about this film, I was going to say an, an hour 30 to an hour 40 feels about right for this yeah, uh, yeah. genre. Um, I'll tell you the one thing that does always um, kind of like draw me in with this 
uh, movie is the poster. Like it, it always looks really good with sort of the the moon and the, the the glowing light behind it and the astronauts floating in space. It's it, it does it. I'm intrigued. Paul. do you think? Do you think I would have enjoyed it as a movie of the week? I think if you're sitting down as I say Friday night popcorn and you're in the mood for that action type thing, definitely. Um, if I mean just to, we hadn't done a, one of Roland and maybe that's one we could look at in the future at some point but when I look at all of his you know day after tomorrow Independence Day goes I would put this top of the pile for me and I think to give that some sort of um, validation is because of the sci-fi factor where some of the others mm-hmm. yes they are sci-fi but this is you know truly into space I mean they've got to stop the moon from falling into the earth I mean other than sending in Vin Diesel there's not many other solutions I can think of as to how they might do that. Bruce Willis, you got to drill into the moon, Ben Affleck. <laughs> that's, that's true. I mean, so silly of me to forget yeah, that. That's how I do it. That's, that's my my go to move for any sort of planetary destruction. Yeah. So yeah. So this movie does exactly what it says on the tin. You know, it's like that. A lot of fun. Um, I love the A story. Everything about the moon. I mean, not just the poster, but the look and feel of the production. The special effects, top top quality. Really, really visually a treat. Um, and yeah, it's the best popcorn movie I've seen all year. And so I think if you like a disaster movie, or if you like a sci-fi movie, or if you like both, I'd say give this one a go. It's on Prime Video, and I'm coming in down with two and a half guns for this one. I love it, Paul. I love your commitment to getting it done. And now that I know the psychology of how you submit movies for movie of the week, <laughs> um, I'll, I'll tell you my one. Just while we're talking about that, is. Sometimes I try to decide, like, if there's one that I really want to watch, I'll try to pair it with something a bit average. So, like, I'll be like, here's something really good and here's something a bit average. And I'll tell you, nine times out of ten, Paul, you'll pick the other one. And I'm always like, God damn it. (laughs) That's so good. So you're deliberately trying to stack it with something that's like, Mm. you'll never pick this. Yeah. Well, well, let me give you a clue. Jokes on me. Yeah, give, let me give you a clue with my next movie review um, as to why I'm quite often likely to pick something a little different. Um, then my next movie, Dan, is 2036, Origin Unknown. This is a 2018 movie. Um, after the first man mission to Mars, you're seeing a theme here, ends in a deadly crash, uh, mission controller Mac Wilson assists an artificial intelligence system they uncover a mysterious object under the surface of mars that could change the future of our planet as we know it um so this this movie is one that many people may likely not have heard of it had a limited time theatrical release but only in the u.s before it went to netflix and uh you'll now find it on on prime video as well uh this so this was directed by a guy called Hazraf Dalol and longtime listeners with a really good memory might recall that I also reviewed of another one of his movies called The Beyond way back in 2020 then I had a look at it earlier uh, in podcast 29 so 2036 Origin Unknown is the second of his movies I've watched and I have to say this is a hundred percent up my street it's a movie that's I think no one's probably heard of, and I'm here to get this onto people's watch list. It brings together a lot of concepts. It creates, for me, this perfect storm of space travel, of artificial intelligence, and it also brings in a, a human element of uh, discovery or survival and doing the moral thing. And I had a really, really good time watching this movie, Dan. 
you are mute again. It's a double half measure. Wow. It, it's well, it's because I mute myself so that I can type in the movie that you're um, talking about so that I, I don't put the clickety clicks in. But um, not normally. Normally I'm okay, but obviously tonight, you know, I'm a bit older. That's what, it is. That's what it is. Anyway, um, all like I look at this and I'm thinking to myself, Bo-Katan origin story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is an odd. It is an odd thing because you know we'll be obviously talking about Katie Sackhoff later with The Mandalorian, but um, she's the lead here. And whilst this isn't the um, <laughs> the Bo-Katan origin story, um, this is most certainly her in in that lead position and and she's really really good and that that's really important as this movie progresses because she is is front and center a lot throughout this movie and so i feel like it needed to be someone that could could play that role and you know there's a strong lead character and kelly sackoff just you know she just gets this genre um, you know, you're thinking Battlestar Galactica. You're thinking Mandalorian. She just, she just fits in, and she she plays the role effortlessly in that in that respect. And you know, I movie plots are one thing, but you can often get a movie that doesn't maybe uh, doesn't push the boundaries, or it just takes an easy path, and it'd be quite um, predictable. And so, in this respect, this movie is really brave, and I think it explores some ideas that really make you think about whether or not one day Alexa will be running your house um, or whether or not Alexa will lock you out of your house or not turn on the lights or, or whatever you've asked Alexa to do. So there's a lot of things going on in this movie. This one, great runtime, just over an hour and a half, absolutely perfect. Um, but the the Katie Sackhoff, Sackhoff factor is, is, is crucial because there's a few things in this movie that make this feel... Uh, what's the word a list a tier whatever more than it is because this is this is a movie that's that is a, what you would call uh, um with respect there's this is a budget movie you know so and i love a budget movie you know i love an indie movie or a b movie i love all three of those things but for me this feels a cut above because of a few things one as i, as I talked about in terms of the lead production feels great really good editing really good lighting um things that can often set budget movies apart sometimes can be things as simple as the lighting i find um the story is great as i say it's well written sharp dialogue and the special effects are really good and i think those four things together are like the cornerstones for me of when something can feel better sort of punching above its weight and i say all that because it's been slated by credit. It's been slated by user reviews. And um, as you can see, whatever whatever you're looking at, Dan, I'm sure is showing a relatively low score. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think obviously it's kind of got the, the makings of a, of a good movie. Obviously, I, I was just thinking, Katie Sackhoff. I, I really enjoy her as an actress, and be her her commitment to sci-fi. Like she's in so many great sci-fi TV shows and movies. And it's, it's really kind of a, a genre that I associate her with these days. So yeah. look, it, it looks intriguing. Yeah, it really is. Um, you've also got Stephen Cree uh, from, uh, he's an Outlander. He was in Maleficent, Terminator, Dark Fate. Mm. He does the voice of the AI. He's really convincing in that sort of, that type of role. He's really good. There are some elements of this movie that maybe you could argue heavily lean into something like 2001, a space odyssey. Mm -hmm. 
And I think anytime you get an AI, there's a sense of, uh, you know, a movie going with the whole, I'm sorry, Dave, I can't do that, whatever the, you know, but I have no problem with that. It was the same a few weeks ago when I was talking about Moon with Sam Rockwell and they had an AI in that. It's, you know, I, I really do recommend this movie for someone who likes to think a little more about the sci-fi. It doesn't necessarily just want to come in for the explosions and the action that a film like Moonfall is going to give you. And I'm really turning into a fan of um, of Hazraf Dalol based on what I've seen of his work as well. He's got a real keen storytelling eye for me. So um, so I give this movie three guns, Dan. Three guns. That's a, it's a pretty good score. Mm. And we're about, sorry, did you say you can watch this one, Paul? This one's also Prime Video as well. Okay, awesome. Oh, that's very good. You've got the, you've put the the science fiction to the the pod this week. I have indeed. So um, let's see what else we've got for the rest of the pod. Dan, what have you been watching? All right, I've got uh, I've got two things for you. So first of all, I'm coming in with a a trip to the movie theater. Um, went to go and see the Super Mario Brothers movie, which is the the new animated film. Kind of went in to be honest with you, Paul, with uh pretty like new uh, neutral i think um expectations i had a complete blast this movie so much fun such a good story such a like i i was kind of like maybe dreading a little bit some of the uh the voice acting cast but none of it was an issue i thought it was funny it was you know much like when i talked about the adams family uh animated movie yeah. i think this stuff in here for young and old audiences alike obviously i'm in the old category um but it was kind of a i I think it really speaks to the sort of new age of nintendo and kind of the you know obviously mario and luigi have been around for a long time and and i think you know i i remember watching the original uh super mario brothers movie the um live action one which which is terrible you sort of on hindsight <laughs> but but yeah. this is a lot of fun obviously chris pratt he plays uh mario you've got charlie day as luigi you've got uh jack black as bowser i don't know whether you're um very familiar with the the mario universal was this something I- that's it's 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 i'm not going to lie it's something that i'm aware of but never truly got into in fact to your probably this taste my main association would actually be the the bob hoskins movie gotcha right so yeah look this is this is a lot of fun this is this is one i would i would definitely recommend i think it's it kind of does a a, a cool thing where it's kind of obviously it's your classic Mario Brothers um, kind of story where Mario and Luigi find themselves uh, in the Mushroom Kingdom. They meet all these great characters. Uh, there's a bit of a showdown with Bowser, who is you know madly in love with Princess Peach. It's it's funny. It's got some great musical um, components to it. Um, it brings in some sort of like Mario Kart components. There's just something in here for everyone. It really just kind of surprised and delighted me. I, you know, sometimes in a movie like this, when it's, you know, kind of aimed at a at a younger audience, I guess, I sometimes find myself being like, I'm having a good time, but I'm looking forward to it sort of ending. But I, I didn't find myself feeling that way at all with this movie. Um, it was just, it was just, just a real good, heartwarming, good time from start to end. I would highly recommend it. What I'm most curious about what you've said so far, Oh, and by the way, talking about posters, great poster. I mean, all the color you could possibly imagine, like a pure rainbow experience. It's the most color of all time. 
when you talked about you were going in with some, I forget how you put it, but like some concerns or like about the voice cast coming through. And I'm looking at, you know, Chris Pratt, Anya Taylor-Joy, Jack Black, Kerry Payton. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of names in there that I would think, you know, Seth Rogen would be actually great to look forward to. What was your concern there? Um, I think it's just because... I wonder whether it's like I, I sort of feel like uh, is, for example, Chris Pratt or, you know, is he going to really kind of like ham it up or it's me, a Mario, you know, like is it like uh, what sort okay. of the well, – what's kind of the approach he's going to go he's going to go for? But – and sometimes I feel like with these types of movies, you you don't necessarily need to have the big names. In fact, the big names sometimes distract from what the movie's actually about. Like, you know, there's a, there's a massive sort of cult following of uh, Nintendo and, and Mario in particular. But – and I know that there was a little bit of internet backlash around some of these these casting choices, but I had I had zero problem with any of them. I think it, it all just kind of worked perfectly. I hope that we get another Mario movie. I hope that we get this cast back. It's it's honestly some real genuine laugh out loud moments in here. And you got Matthew Fogel, the writer for this. He is already experienced in this sort of you know, he did the Lego movie. He wrote that. I mean, that's 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 always a good starting place. He obviously uh, is quite tuned into this universe, I would say, based on what appear to be a lot of really good reviews. And you've got an hour and a half runtime, which I would say probably is spot on, right? It's perfect. It, it really is the perfect amount. I think you get kind of just enough of all the main characters. There's there's kind of wider nods to the extended uh, Mario universe. It's yeah, it's a hard movie to talk about because, you know, you talk about it, like the, the story's pretty wafer thin, right? Like it's it, mm-hmm. it's a classic kind of um, adventure, uh, save the princess type movie. And and I would almost say if you haven't seen the trailer for it, but you're intrigued by it, I would go in blind because it is one of those movies where a few of the great sort of goofs and gags do get revealed in the trailer. So um Look, I think when it comes out on streaming platforms, I'll definitely be watching again. Nice. Yeah. Oh, like I dare say it will get a run in my household as well. So you never know. If you put it up for a movie of the week, I might surprise you. Indeed. I'll have to pair it with something not so good. Pair it with something excellent. Or maybe really good. Yeah, yeah. um, I I don't understand the psychology. (laughs) Um, The second thing that I've watched is I have watched season two of Succession. So last week came in, raving fan of season one. I just finished season two last night, Paul. I haven't watched a TV show where my jaw has been on the ground in the final episode in a very long time. Like, I was just like, let me take you on a little bit of a journey. So finished season one, such a high, such a buzz, came into season two, and it's kind of like, you know, using the DJ analogy, I like to I like to sort of sometimes talk about, <laughs> turn the music down low, kind of like we've got to rebuild up to the sort of next story. By the end of season two, we've got a banger on the dance floor. I'm so hooked in. I, I, I'll finish this podcast right now so I can go and start season three. Like it is, <laughs> it is, it is that good. And I'm, I'm just having such a great time. I'm, I love the journey it's taking me on with different characters. Like you, you love the character and then you kind of loathe the character and then you love them again. Then you feel sorry for them that, the plot points, the twists and the turns, it's it's so good. And what I, you know, I'm hearing from people is that it's it's even better in the in the final season, which is on right now. So I think at the rate we're going, 
will hopefully be caught up. So for the final couple of episodes of season four, when that drops, um, we'll be watching them real time. But honestly, top tier TV program, you've got to get on it. Um, you can get on this before Ozark, like it's it's that good. I was I see you took the words out of my mouth. I was just going to say to you, my commitment for you this year is I'm going into Succession and I'm going into into Ozark, and this this show is trending massively at the moment as well. Obviously, with the the season four finale coming up, it's you know trending at number two in IMDb's top one hundred, and the ratings of season two are solid. And as you say, that final episode. 9.8 from over 10,000 votes. Mm. Um, I do love a good season finale, and we have talked about some that we've seen over the time, but the draw dropping, that's always a that's it, that's that's got a feel of Walking Dead season six or, or Breaking Bad season it, four. It, it, it really does. Like it really kind of like this episode I watched last night, and I don't really want to talk about it because it it's the the detail of it is, is is important, but it's it really just had me feeling like some of my favorite TV shows I've ever watched. Like I had that moment of wow, I don't know what I would do in this situation. Like, you know, how would I respond? Who would I form an alliance with? Like, who like this? There's, there's just so many great twists and turns. It's it's such a ride. It's such a much like I said last week. This family is so out of the realm of anything. Um, that you or I um, will probably ever experience unless this podcast really gets some <laughs> some angel investors coming in. But um, it's it's a good show. It's definitely not too late to join the party. The hardest thing actually is because I'm just loving the show so much. I'm constantly getting pushed content on Succession, and I'm I, I just feel like I'm dodging spoilers on a daily basis. Incredible. Well, I. I feel like I'm hearing so much about this show at the moment that it's all just confusing because I don't know anything. That by the time I get into it, hopefully it will have died down. But uh, you, you had me and some of our listeners quite excited about uh, your, you know, your season one review last week. So um, I'm, I'm committing to this show. I'm just, I'm committing to this program. It's, it's good. It's definitely worth it. So you can watch that on Neon here in New Zealand. They've got all uh, four seasons. And so that was season two that I've just watched. But shall we jump into our joint watch, um, Paul, which was The Mandalorian season three? Indeed. So you and I have sort of reviewed a number of Star Wars shows on, on this podcast and, of course, all of the movies. But it was all the way back in 2020 that we we last visited The Mandalorian with the second season. So it was all the way, it was just before Christmas 2020 that we had Luke Skywalker show up and just absolutely blow everyone's mind, I think. Uh, it's a long, long time ago, if you pardon the pun, and all of a sudden we're back. And since then, of course, we've had the Book of Boba Fett. We've had other shows which which don't actually necessarily sit within amongst this, this specific timeline within the Star Wars universe. Um, but this coming into this uh, this season, this still felt like I don't know the daddy of all the of all the shows. This was the king show, you know. And I'm I'm, I'm building it up here, Dan, because for me, season three was the best of times, and it was the worst of times. 
Yeah, look, I um, and I think I said this on the on the pod a few episodes ago. I think I really struggled coming into season three of the Mandalorian for I think two reasons. One, it's been you know almost two years since season two. Um, obviously we've had the book of Boba Fett and we've had uh, Kenobi in the middle of that, but probably more relevant the book of so the book of Boba Fett, which sort of connected up a bit of the story. Uh, so we we kind of we we've been waiting a long time for this season. Almost made worse by the fact that at the same time the show was was starting, we were still finishing off The Last of Us, which was another like smash hit from Pedro Pascal. So I, I kind of felt like I came in a little bit um, wanting more, and I wasn't getting it. And saying that, once I sort of finished with The Last of Us, I, I kind of like you know re got in my groove with The Mandalorian. Um, and I think, like, you and I have had many conversations in the past about um, the sort of the wider sort of the Mandalore stories. And, you know, I I personally, like, really like characters like Bo-Katan. Um, but I do think as far as kind of seasons go, this was such a different season from our seasons one and two. And though there was episodes and moments that I enjoyed, I don't overly look back on the season with the fondest of memories. No, I would say that's a fair reflection, Dan. I, there's so much to pick apart here, and in some ways, and we'll get to it, there was so much goodness, and there was some incredible story and some things that I've wondered about since I was a kid loving Star Wars. But as a season, uh, my problem is my criticism of this show would not hold up in court. So no. if if I sat down... Uh, let's say I sat down and I watched 10 hours of the Olympics and then I came away saying to you, oh, I'm not really interested in the Olympics. People would say, well, fool, maybe don't sit down and watch 10 hours of the Olympics. So I'm not actually interested then in the Mandalorian storyline and the, and the quest to reunite the Mandalorian people and to return to their home planet of Mandalore and, and to do Mandalorian things in their Mandalorian costumes. And I'm not even the biggest fan of, of, of Bo-Katan for example I thought it was great that she shows up in you know live action and it's voiced by the you know, Katie Sackhoff who voiced it in the series I'm not actually interested and this was if you cast your mind back then to our third podcast ever I, we, when we talked about the Mandalorian I actually sort of said oh I was nervous about coming into the show because I'm like oh I've never actually been interested in that you know, the, you know the, the Mandalorian look the Boba Fett look if you like but it was such a great TV show because of the way they played it and the missions of you know, the enemy of the week and going on a journey and rescuing Grogu and all the things. It's it's the stuff now that they're going to and doing that is so deep into the lore of Mandalorian. I felt like they've gone too deep and none of it really interested me. And I just sat there at times bored and hoping that the scene would end. And when it ended, I was hoping we'd go back to one of three things, anything to do with Grogu, the New Republic story, um, and you know, and the struggles of taking over from the Empire, or three, going to the what do you want to call it, the remnants of the Empire, you know, the Shadow Council, the Moff Gideon, and anything to do with the rise of the First Order. I was way in, way more interested in those things. I think that's kind of the um, this is the interesting thing I think with this season, like. 
I feel like for some people they probably really loved it, and I like I, I feel like I'm a little bit opposite from you because I I am interested in the the Mandalorians and I I I do like the sort of concept. I think when we sort of start when I start to think about the whole bunch of interesting things that happen across the whole season, I there's probably enough there to actually get me excited. But as a as comparing it to the other seasons, I'm kind of just a bit like. Uh, I don't know. I don't know whether we need it. Like, and there was definitely episodes that felt very fillery, and then there was episodes mm. where it kind of felt like actually this is kind of building towards the the bigger uh, Ahsoka TV show, mm-hmm. probably ultimately building towards um, the movie. The, the movie. Yeah. There's obvious like. And one of the things that I really thought about yesterday is I was like, oh, throughout the day, oh, it's the final of The Mandalorian, exciting. And I remember for other final seasons of The Mandalorian, we've kind of, and or other Star Wars TV shows, like you and I like love to sort of theorize who could turn up, who's going to, you know, and I, there was, I had none of those sort of feelings or emotions uh, going into, into this mm. final episode. And I think, they definitely were never going to bring Luke back in. They could have touched on Ahsoka, but it would have been completely out of context. I thought the one person I was surprised not to see actually was Boba Fett. Like, if you're going to actually get all the crew together, like, let's let's get Boba back in. Yeah, he's just a simple man, Paul, making his way across the galaxy. You know, like he's got he nothing but time. He's, I really, I I actually thought, especially given that you know we talked about this at length when we reviewed the book of Boba Fett, how Mandalorian, sorry, how Din Din Djarin came in. To to his series, it would seem only fair to have that turn about and have him come in and play a role here. And I think I actually think fans would have appreciated it. I know I would have, and you probably would have too. I had no expectations of any cameos either, which is a really interesting observation because I I came into the finale actually more sort of nervous. I just thought please end on a good note. Please just deliver something decent. And I actually think they did. I thought the last two episodes I thought were pretty solid. And I want to talk a little bit about theories around what you think's happened and not happened. But as you said, some of the filler along the way, and I'm sorry, I'm going to have to jump straight into Guns for Hire, Chapter 22. I don't quite understand what was going on, but... Jack Black and Lizzo. What the hell's going on with this episode? I feel I feel like a droid-centric episode might have been good fun to explore, and even definitely more so as an animated episode. But what they did was a mess, and both of them took me out of this universe. I don't know. Jack Black is hilarious. I just don't think I needed him in Star Wars. I don't know what to say about that. It's funny because the that was quite a long episode too, um, yeah. time-wise. And I think what's interesting about that is it annoys me when Star Wars does like silly things like, okay, you've got to go and see these people. You've got to get given a side quest. You've got to go do the side quest. Like why couldn't have you have just flown straight to the Mandalorian fleet and gone and had a chat with who I don't like. It's, it's annoying. I enjoyed when they kind of went to the, the underworld, like it kind of had a bit of an attack of the clones uh, type vibe to me, but I'll tell you the things that really stuck out for me in that episode is it frustrates me the way they uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to say it, like the, the puppeteers move Grogu. I feel like it's so clumsy at times. Like whenever they show him walk, it feels like it's like it's my first day out of puppeteering school and I'm, I'm, and I'm, and I'm making Grogu walk and then like he's doing like weird flips into Lizzo's lap and it's just, it, 
those it's things like that that take me out of the moment like and it's like yep these are some quirky characters this probably isn't overly an episode that's kind of needed but they're trying to kind of build up some some tension uh, or give us a bit of a break from the tension but I don't think that tension ever truly existed enough for me to feel like I needed the breather um yeah, yeah that's that's a fair observation and I I've kind of come to accept it the the way that Grogu it's almost like oh, that that's how he rather than it being poor puppeteering that's actually a deliberate that's how he walks but i i wonder if there's others out there think you know i wonder if frank oz is sitting there just slamming whiskeys sort of like just screaming at the tv saying that's not how you do it yeah i i, I don't know but i am um... while i'm um while i'm really getting stuck into grogu i feel like i i actually enjoyed that they they gave him the ig 11 uh, body to sort of move around oh, and I thought that, that that was great I thought that was great and I thought that was such a cool way to kind of have him kind of be not be on par with sort of the, the wider party and be able to sort of hold his own what I didn't like though again though is I feel like we have moments in the Mandalorian where Grogu is quite powerful he can use the force to subdue a rancor yeah um he can kind of you know defeat enemies but then, like, in, in the final episode, Grogu was kind of, like, his, he's a bit all over the place. And, like, I feel like they've made a big deal of, of him having this, like, mithril vest that he got from Frodo Baggins. And, but he's never been, like, <laughs> like stabbed in the chest or, you know, I thought that would have been a great opportunity for uh, one of those guards to, like, stab him. And then everyone would be like, no. And then, like, he's got surprise, got my mithril vest on. And then, like, I hated that IG-11's body got sort of, destroyed so quickly i feel like um din is like sometimes he's really strong sometimes he's really weak like it's it's it felt very uneven um yeah. throughout the sort of the white episode as opposed to people like like bogatan and previsla who or even um the armorer who came in like she's thor because I, I was laughing to myself that she was out of the, I'm jumping out of the dropship and I'm taking my pliers and my hammer. I was like, "This is ridiculous." But then, but then she uses them like Thor, and I thought it was it was fantastic. <laughs> she really did sort of like halfway through the flight. She was like, "Oh, what have I got?" And she, <laughs> it'd be like a, he's on the tools. Yeah, a service designer would just put like post-it notes and and sharpies. It would um, it would not. Yeah, there was a number of things that, and we've talked about this before with the like. I think probably. Revenge of the Sith is the best example I can think of where, you know, Grogu, you've got the Force, you can use the Force. We've seen you use the Force. Can you use the Force right now? Because it would really help us against these non-Force-wielding enemies. And so I'm, the reason I was thinking Revenge of the Sith is is um, Obi-Wan and, and Grievous. Why, why, is, why is Obi-Wan getting into some sort of fight with Grievous? You know, just pick him up with the Force and chuck him. You know, it's... Don't just do it when you abs- when it's absolutely desperate. Use it all the time. You've got that ability. It's um, mm-hmm. that's I guess if they used it all the time, we'd have no story and we'd we'd suffer uh, the, the Superman. You know, problem. indeed, indeed. It's and look, I think obviously, look, I think I'm I'm really picking holes in it. Overall, I enjoyed it. Like and I, you know, I enjoy these little moments. Uh, like for example, like I quite enjoyed um, Chapter Twenty, the Foundling. Um, and we we get to have like another flashback moment where we we get to see how Grogu is saved from um, Order sixty six. We get Armored Best back in, um, 
known to most people as Jar Jar Binks, has sort of a, a bit of a redeeming Jedi moment. Uh, it's like, like I feel like that every now and again they kind of sprinkle in these these great kind of like moments that make you kind of really think about the wider Star Wars universe, and I like that they use the show as a bit of a a mechanism for that. Yeah, no, that was really good, and I think great shout out for Ahmed Best as well because so hated by so many, not by us, and comes in and gets uh, a worthy role and. A really in a really as you say a really good episode because i did love that flashback and because you know how did grogu get out you know it was great to be able to explore that i absolutely loved the episodes where and i'm, I'm looking at chapter 19 the convert that was probably my standout for the whole season so the doctor from season one who who used to experiment on grogu who's now rehabilitating himself as an ex-imperial into the new republic and they went on board the old star destroyer um i just thought that whole story and the whole look and feel of being able to go back onto that um back onto the star destroyer and and explore that but you know ex-imperials sneaking around and we don't know if if um what's her name is it elia kane uh if she's is she also an ex imperial who's genuinely um you know genuinely wanting to become a, a good citizen or is she still imperial and of course you know we're talking full spoilers here as we as we progress through the season we find out that she is and then of course she's in contact with you know somehow moff gideon returned um and we got all that shadow cancel stuff and when the shadow cancel is on my screen and when we've got the ex-imperials and the new republic type stuff i'm i'm so hooked in i'm like hooked in like i am with andor i i love the hidden empire base i love the idea that it was the empire that had to stay hidden after years of us watching star wars with hidden rebel bases i love the shoe on the other foot and that's a story online i could get lost in for season after season it's way more my kind of star wars you know like andor sneaking around if the whole series is like that i'd be hard pressed not to have this in my top three for 2023 tv series because that side of the tv series which is essentially the b story i thought was absolutely superb yeah and i think this is where you know when they kind of drop with the shadow council you know they're talking about thrawn this is the stuff that obviously gets us sort of star wars geeks like really 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 excited and I think there's, you know, they, they're they working very, very hard. You can tell it does need to try to connect up the the wider Star Wars universe, connect the, the latest trilogy kind of together, trying to sort of bridge that gap around how we eventually got to Snoke and um, Emperor Palpatine. And I think there's they're doing good stuff in that, in that space. I think there was a few moments throughout the show which we never kind of realised, though, and it makes me intrigued about what they're going to do for next season. So obviously one of them being, so Moff Gideon was freed by what we can only presume is Mandalorians, but they never really demonstrated um, who those Mandalorians were, unless they're talking about the new Mandalorian guards that Moff Gideon has made, which freed him. But I really thought they were going to do some sort of either have a double cross in there, um, and either being the armor or axe walls doing a double cross, or was this going to be an opportunity to kind of introduce Sabine Wren um, into the into the mix? And, and that didn't really eventuate for me. Um, I don't know whether you had any thoughts on that one. 
Yeah, um, it's interesting because I come at it from a completely different starting point in that I don't believe that Moff Gideon, Moff Gideon was freed by the by the by anyone because I don't believe we saw Moff Gideon in this in this season. I and I think if I you agree. notice if you notice how he doesn't have a mustache the whole time, it was really bugging me. I was like, you know, we saw what we did with Henry Cavill in in Superman. Uh, sorry, not in Superman in uh, Justice League. You know, it, it's kind of like. Could they not have just CGI'd? And I think there's a really deliberate reason behind it all, which is the theory theorizing I wanted to get into you, is that we haven't seen Moff Gideon as we know him. We've seen a clone. That's the whole Snoke story that you were referring to there. And so, yeah, there's a few things that they could have done and didn't. And to your point about Sabine Wren, I wondered if they might give us that because they gave us um, a glimpse of Oh my goodness! His name's Steve Bloom's character. I can't think of his name. Um, the, uh, the big dude from Rebels. You know, they gave us that. Oh yes, yep. How yep. terrible! What's I can't his remember his name. Um, yep. Zeb. 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 That's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I was absolutely certain they wouldn't give us Thrawn or no, or or, no. Hera, or Hera, but um, I yeah, they didn't go there, and that's fine. I just think there's uh, there was a few things. Like so, one of the cameos they did do, which well, it was a cameo, but General Hux, played by Dom Hall Gleason, has so his father is in this this series, you know, because we're obviously we're before the Force Awakens, and we have, and and, he, and he's a member of that Shadow Council, which I was fascinated by, and of course it's played by uh, his brother, his real life brother, um, and also. Uh, Brandon Gleason's son as well. Um, Brian, I mean, all the Gleasons together. I mean, but it was so good to have that sort of connection because the voice mm. was so akin, obviously, to mm. Hux. Mm. No, look, I completely agree, agree with you. I, I don't think that Moff Gideon was the Moff Gideon. I thought, I think they very intentionally, obviously, showed us all the clones that look like Moff Gideon. They intentionally kind of like this version of Moff Gideon almost seemed like younger as well, like and yes. and more kind of like roided out. Whereas <laughs> the Moff Gideon that we know is a bit more, a bit more older, a bit more weathered, definitely a bit more slight. And so I, I think that is going to be the enemy that will continue to kind of exist throughout the the outer rim. I was intrigued. Um, another couple of I guess Mandalorian things. So there was kind of some shadiness with Bo-Katan in terms of her rescuing um, Dindajaran, um, her seeing the mythosaur under the water and then not not really sort of revealing too much of that apart from to the armourer, her finally getting the, the Darksaber and kind of getting it through kind of a weird series of events where, look, we've kind of done some some retro thinking. You can actually have it because you've actually saved me. And yeah. then the Darksaber actually got gets destroyed in the process. I thought that kind of sucked. I feel like yeah. the whole time with the Mandalorians, we've been like, you know, they've they've got their, their trinkets and their artifacts, which kind of bring them together. It was a shame to have the Darksaber destroyed in this process. I, I thought if we're going to have this Mandalorian um, storyline, what, what great way to kind of – um, one unite the Mandalorians, but two give them a, a weapon to kind of fight with Jedi on. Yeah. Oh, look, there's there's lightsabers and there's lightsabers. I mean, you know, the dark saber though feels like its own unique thing, and so to have Gideon or the clone Gideon crush that, and obviously not only is he got that as you put it that roided out look, but he's he's wearing this new 
DAC trooper motorized you know and made of best car i mean it's all the things um but to have that stack saber kind of diminishes it's uh it's weird because i felt the same way way back when they blew up the razor crest that was just sort of like oh don't do that don't do that just to sell me another lego set of a different ship you know it's kind of um the dax saber is better than that and I feel like they're probably going to do it with the M1 Star Starfighter ride at some point because though it's like a cool, fast ship, it's no good for Garen to get bounties. And it's, you know, as like it's – he kind of needs another ship and you, you can see there's a third ship coming. Oh, you can indeed. Just back on Gideon though, I do – or even the clone, whatever he is – I did love the whole look and feel of him mm. and how he sort of entered the scene with the jetpack. My one criticism, because you and I talk a lot about Giancarlo Esposito as having that incredible voice, is that with the helmet on, there was a real Kylo Ren vibe coming through for me in terms of his voice. And I just, I didn't necessarily need that. I thought that was a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a step too far, also a step too far for me, Dave Filoni's cameo in the finale like you know we've already seen him in an x-wing i thought that was great but out of uniform at the bar he was wearing his real life hat that he seems to wear from what i can tell 16 hours a day in real life and that Mm -hmm. took me out of the universe straight away yeah i there's a couple of things that like it's annoying to see um the I think some of those moments just kind of that they take away from the the Star Warsness of it all, don't they? Like yeah. it's like it's it's cool to have a cameo, but kind of like a little bit overplayed. Mm. And sometimes the the rebels just feel like they can be a bit annoying sometimes. And I I don't know what it is, but there's just everything kind of about them. I I, I just kind of I don't know. I I, I find them frustrating at times. Um, I'll tell you the bit that really got me the most though, Paul, is that final, final scene. I was like, so, okay, you're going to adopt Grogu. He can be Din Grogu. Let's just kind of wrap that up, put a bow on it. You can sign his consent form. Here's a little house for you out on the, in the desert. And he's literally got his N1 Starfighter parked so close to the house. Like it feels like how, how it's like you've driven in there. Like it's like a car in a garage. And then you're sitting out on your front porch with your full set of armor on while Grogu's playing with a frog. And then it kind of like, I feel like people are saying this is great, but I really hated it, how it kind of like does that circle shot and kind of like, you know, go, focuses in on um, yeah. on Din and then kind of like closes like, oh, we're off on like, you know, little Western Space Adventures next. And it didn't, I think for a third season, it kind of implied to me, they could go one of two ways. They could never do another season of The Mandalorian and continue to have both Din and Grogu exist in other ways throughout this galaxy, or they can go back to their kind of more regular format of Din and Grogu collecting bounties, working um, with the New Republic and, and, and doing things. But I kind of felt like they intentionally left it there with kind of a a full stop for them to decide what they're going to do with that sort of wider universe. Yeah, definitely left it with a full start. I mean, we know we've got a fourth season coming that in itself is, is yeah, I think it's going to be closer to what you've described as they're going to be going off on adventures again. And yeah, I know what you mean about the, the, the zoom in and then the circle cut is it's not a Star Wars. I like the Star Wars fade. I like the full 
screenplay yeah, that agreed. George Lucas gave us. I mean, George Lucas gave us a number of things that we are eternally grateful for. And that sort of cut is always associated with Star Wars for me. And I really, I really enjoy that. Um, I mean, the whole sitting there in the sun in the I mean, the sweat must just be absolutely unbearable. Also, did you notice we got a very brief shot of what it was like to be inside that helmet. And we got that very narrow view. I mean, how these guys are fighting and doing the things they're doing with, with that T-shaped view. And we could see from that how limiting it was. It's, I mean, it's absurd, but it's fine because they look great and we're going to go with it. Also talking of fighting and looking great, the Praetorian guards, first time we've seen them since the last Jedi was cool to have them show up, but they were never going to be able to, match for me the quality of the fight scene that ryan johnson gave us with those praetorian guys oh 100 and i think though they were cool um i felt like again this is another example of one moment like din as the mandalorian is kind of like a little bit weak and he's easily captured the next moment he's kind of taking on the praetorian guards he's taking on um those uh, Mandalorian level kind of stormtroopers, like he's yeah. like Obi Wan, like charging up in between fights with Darth Maul. And I, I'll tell you one thing that I think that was kind of cool and kind of a little bit dark for Disney is the way that in a lot of these Mandalorian fights, both with Bo Katan and Pre Vizsla and the men and um, the Armorer and with Din, is they were really going for some kill shots. Like they were like sticking like daggers between um, bits of armor. They were like shooting up underneath people's helmets. Like it was quite sort of violent with a small V for Disney, but like quite kind of like, you know, heavy violence um, for a Star Wars TV show. 100%. They could easily have not gone there. They could easily have implied it or done it the way that we've seen it for years prior to this sort of TV show. So yeah, no, absolutely right. And I think in the same way that we've, we've talked about that with Clone Wars in the same way we've talked about that a little bit with Andor, I quite appreciate that because um, it takes it to that, to that next level without, without going too far. And I think it's, it's the right balance and yeah, it is Disney and it's as far as I think it needs to go. But um, there's, I came out of each week like, either saying what's going on. Like it started off awful for me, the first episode, possibly the worst. I mean, that's a terrible way to start the season. And then I picked up and then episode three was probably my favorite. Then there was, I don't know, a bit of filler, you know, the pirate one, the, the Jack Black one. And then we finished off with, I thought, two strong episodes. It was just, it's just the word you used before, just, you know, unbalanced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I think it was a, I think probably for me, like maybe half of the season was quite good and half a little bit, take it or leave it. Yeah. Um, I definitely, I feel like we've, we've really gone quite quite hard on this TV show and like, you know, even talking to Samara was saying, I, I loved it. She she had a really great time. Um, and I think this is always a challenge for us, Paul. Like we want so much out of these shows. Like we want them to be so good and we we can see the potential and it's like they just like never quite commit to this is the story we want to tell. And they, much like we were talking about with the Bad Batch last week, I think they get a little bit uh, undecisive about what audience they're making these TV shows for. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I was just doing the math in my head. Five people I've spoken to, four out of the five, uh, exactly the same as what you and I have been saying in terms of the view and the reasons as to why. So 
I I think there'll be enough feedback for them to go and then I don't think we're going to revisit the Mandalore story um, because Mandalore is going to fall again right before, you know, oh, let's not get into that. But I don't think we're going to see that. I think we're going to go off. But I think we're going to be more akin to season one um, is what my my guess is for season four. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think if you're really interested in the in the Mandalore side of things, then oh, you'll be loving it. You'll be loving it, and I think there's quite a few episodes of the Clone Wars that you probably should be checking out because then you'll really get your your fix of of Mandalore. But um, yeah, that is the the Mandalorian on Disney Plus. Uh, bit of a mixture review from us, but I I do think at some point I'll, I'll sit down and maybe watch this over a couple of nights and and see what the whole season looks and feels like again. But yeah, um, yeah interesting one. I think it's Should always we... interesting, Dan. I think it's always interesting when you and I, big Star Wars fans, can come into something like this a you know grandstand show, a real blue ribbon show, and come in and be as critical as we are because. Every now and then it's good because it proves that we're not just the fanboys coming in just saying, oh, it's Star Wars, we must love it. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think, look a bit like we said the other day, as a fan, I, I feel like it's there too much, but um, that's probably a, a whole nother podcast. Shall we uh, jump into our movie of the week this week? Indeed. So every week we take it in turns to choose a movie we choose a good movie and a bad movie and we send it to each other in the hopes that the person will choose the good movie or we passive aggressively choose the same movie several times and we announce what that movie will be a week in advance um, over in our Discord community to let people know what we're going to be watching so you can watch along with us. You can join that community by clicking on the link in the show notes where you're listening to your podcast right now. This week, Dan, we have gone with 2022 movie, Nope. So, yeah, this is a, a Jordan Peele movie, which you may remember some of us, if you've seen Get Out or Us, or this is, I think this is the third movie in his uh, little sort of horror genre. So this is uh, an interesting movie. It's basically about the, the residents of a sort of uh, inland California area, a, a family of, a small family who are in the, the movie-making business. They... Uh, run a, a horse ranch they provide animals they they do a a little bit of special work on different cinema projects anyway they witness an uncanny and chilling um event and it's one of those ones where we're, we're gonna have to go into spoilers here because yeah it yeah. is a it is a movie where to talk about it you need to kind of reveal everything so if you haven't seen nope yet if you're a jordan peele fan i you may already know about it, or maybe it's it's still on your list to watch. Maybe use the time codes and jump ahead. This is a this is an interesting movie, Paul. It's got a, a great cast. Um, it's got a, I think it's one of those movies with an interesting sort of para, not paranormal, sort of a, a an, an alien science fiction type of bent to it. But it's also a movie that I think has got a bit of a, a dual meaning with it in terms of. I guess what happens to people in the in the movie industry, um, how people are kind of forgotten, how people are treated, um, all kind of wrapped up in this. Is paranormal the word I want to use? Is it? Yeah, I it's think so. More, it's, yeah, paranormal or sort of science fiction. What did you think of this one? I 
I have a number of thoughts about this one, Dan. And before I go into any of those, can I firstly say, seeing Stephen Yeun full stop was great because he brought just seeing him brought back all of the memories of of The Walking Dead when The Walking Dead was like the number one show on TV. It was great seeing him in a movie role like this. But um, overall, this movie did not probably work for me. It didn't quite uh, inspire me. There's a lot about it I did like, but in balance, overall, it's not it's not one I'm going to come out of this podcast saying this is a full blown recommendation for me. I think that I think if you're into the genre, you, you're going to, you're going to get something out of it, but I just, I don't know. I, if I start with the positives, then I, as you said, the casting I thought was, was great. You know, as I say, Stephen Yoon, but of the three main leads, um, I actually thought, um, Kiki Palmer as Emerald Haywood was the most convincing. I thought she was hilarious. I thought she was entertaining. I thought she was really, really good from, from start to finish. And I thought she was in many ways, like the main driver of the movie for me. Um, every time Daniel Kaluuya is, I, he really impresses me. Doctor Who, Sicario, um, whatever he's done has been great. And we've actually had him now, uh, in the lead role for three movie of the weeks. We've had Queen and Slim, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, and now this. And so I guess what I would say, first of all, is of those three movies, the other two were f- far better movies for me. And I have a number of reasons as to why it was not a smash for, hit for me. But I'm going to throw back to you, Dan, because I feel like you've got some more positives to say before I start coming in with the baseball bat. Yeah, I I did enjoy this movie. I, I've seen... Uh... Get Out from Jordan Peele, and I, I really enjoyed that movie. Uh, and uh, Daniel Kaluuya also sort of stars in, stars in that. This, I think, isn't quite as good for me as that movie, but I do enjoy the kind of the slow tension and mm. kind of the the build-up in this in this film and sort of the the reveal of the big bad or the or the threat. But I think you're right, like Kiki Palmer really kind of like stole the show um and became the the kind of the fun character Mm. i think it's i think it was an interesting movie just in the sense of just i think the way that they i think brought the brought the big bad to life the fact that there was a lot of kind of like really great um night scenes that often, you know, a, a movie with lots of night scenes is often a bit of a nightmare, I find, because you can't see anything. You, you don't know what's the, – the effects are kind of like sometimes cheapened. But I didn't find that at all with this. And I, I kind of found myself intrigued enough with the story that it kind of kept me interested. I do wonder, though, having now sort of been through this movie, and, and, and it's probably a little bit too long would be my probably my main critique. Yeah. I don't know whether it's got – very much rewatchability for me. No, I tick and tick. Just, just too long. Again, hour thirty, hour forty-five. Maybe I came out of this feeling a bit different, but there's nothing worse than sitting there wanting it to wrap up. That's the worst, you know. I really don't. I don't like feeling like that about a movie. And um, yeah, the rewatch isn't quite there for me. The other thing, just quickly going back to to Daniel Kaluuya is as great as he is and we've talked about him over a couple of podcasts 
top actor but the character he played in this i thought his character was a little bit poorly written i I didn't connect with him i felt like his character was disinterested i just feel whatever was imagined on paper surely didn't quite come to life on on screen and that's not a reflection of his performance it was literally the way he was written it's just something i just couldn't get into his character it's funny because i think that's where for me it, it kind of really painted the picture of the you know, the, the pressure of the, the son yeah. having to take on the family business, not really wanting to, but kind of growing up in that in that culture of, you know, this this family kind of like deals and works in, in horses and, and movies and and kind of being, you know, quite an expert in it, but not really caring about it as a mm. as a as a profession or something you want to do. You've got your other sibling who's kind of off living your life and you still sort of feel the pressure and kind of, to me, I I felt like he kind of played the role, like he was kind of wearing lots of kind of guilt. And I think this is where this film is. I think it's, it's, it's dealing with, I think being a, uh, a black family in, um, in Hollywood and kind of like dealing with, dealing with that. It's, I think it's about working. Like, I think there's a lot in here. If you, if you work in that kind of like Hollywood movie sort of like, like I feel like it's kind of almost a movie for people that understand the terminology and the lingo and kind of how things work and how quickly kind of the, the world moves on um, from whatever this great moment was to the next thing. Um, yeah, I, I, like I, I'm probably too dumb to really sort of pull out all the key themes, but I, I feel like there's, there's lots of sort of dual meanings and I don't yeah. think the the alien spaceship predator paranormal activity thing that was happening, like I think that's just one element to it that's not really the the core. Yeah, I, I feel like you've called out some really great things and I think you've pulled out some things that I've probably either overlooked in a, in a more simplistic view, thinking I was watching one thing, but you're right, I think all of those things are true. And I, I wonder if an audience member such as myself maybe needed it. <laughs> Here I go contradicting myself, saying I need a bit more bit more um, scenery coming in. Um, maybe needed that element of it spelled out to me a little more blatantly because the father dies very early into the movie. Also, I just realised where I recognise Keith David from. He's the voice of the president in Rick and Morty. That's where I know his voice from, of course. Uh, he was good, but of course he left, he left so early in the movie. And the movie started off great by the way i thought it was a really solid start and it had me really intrigued when you know things started to fall out the sky like the coins and the keys and you know it was a really i was like what is going on here but as we progressed there was a few stories that meshed in so the dude from the store with the fries electronics with the with the uh, security camera um i was reading about that actually Dan, just out of interest that fries had gone out of business the year before this movie was made and so they wanted to have a front they had to recreate the store you know from wow. what it, i don't know crazy but um i thought that that story there was too many moving parts for me and i think what you've just described would be a way more interesting um narrative to tell more more explicitly throughout rather than it being implied so that dumb people like me completely missed that just like you know i had no idea what was going on with the banshees of insurance be, being a, a you know to do with the irish civil war indeed like i think i, I actually think and I, I i don't think i've ever said this before on the pod or as i don't think this is a very easy movie to review like it's yeah 
Yeah, like that's it's, fair. I, I I find it quite hard to talk about because it's on on one on one hand you can take sort of the the basic plot of this this kind of threat and they kind of you know trying to capture it but I, I it doesn't feel about that at the same time I I like what Jordan Peele's doing I like how he's kind of sticking with this familiar cast um, I want to see more of his work I wouldn't say this was my favorite of his movies yeah no I think that's that's fair comment and I yeah and. I like a slow movie when it's done well, but for me it felt too slow at times. I also felt that the chimpanzee monkey scene was was intense. And whilst it was obviously used as a means to further our understanding of this life form and that whole innate instinctive territorial behavior thing, again, I don't think that fitted in well together. And as much as I started by saying I love seeing Stephen Ewan, I thought his story and the linkages were quite, I don't want to say weak, but yeah, just weren't solid enough. So mm. I would be really interested to hear some other perspectives on this movie because yeah, I think I think you're quite right. It is difficult to to review in that respect. Mm. I think um on reflection, having now talked about it, I think I'd probably give it a, a two guns for me. I'm gonna go a gun and a half then, which is maybe harsh, but it's when I weigh it up against the things I've talked about this week and my satisfaction levels mm, from them mm. it feels yeah i'm that's where i'm going one and a half all right one and a half i'm going with two if you want to check out nope you can find that on neon here in new zealand all right paul what is your pick of the week well it's really interesting because if, if this was before the mandalorian season three had come out i'd say oh whenever we review that that's definitely going to be my pick of the week because it's just going to be quality and yet it's not um i'm actually going to go with 2036 origin unknown because it just really spoke to me i had a really great time when i think about katie sackoff in that role compared to the mandalorian i felt like i got way more out of her in this and i love the story and the ideas that they tried there so that's my pick of the week what about you I'm a little bit torn between uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie and Succession, but I think I'm going to have to give it to Succession for a second week in a row just because, as I say, the jaw drop is just too good, um, too good to pass up. So I'm really excited. It's me. I'm really excited about going into this this series now. I'm feeling like I'm feeling like I'm going to go into it before Ozark now. Is how you're selling it to me. So um, nice. Anyway, Dan, what news have you got this week? All right, what news have I got this week? So let me have a look here. So move over, Harry Potter TV show. There's another new TV show in the works, Paul. It's the Twilight series. That is apparently uh, early in development over at Lionsgate Television. So I, I've never, I don't really know much about the Twilight universe. I know it's about vampires and things that sparkle in the sunlight, but that, that's about as far as my knowledge goes. But that is also getting the the reboot treatment for uh, for TV, which I think is interesting. It has been a while since those movies came out, and they were very, very popular, really. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, 
They, they were indeed. Uh, what else have I got here? So Super Mario Brothers movie. Uh, there's a, a little song in that movie called Peaches, which is sung by Jack Black. And that move, sorry, that song in that movie has now hit the uh, top 100 billboard in, in America, which I, I think is amazing. So another little plug for that film. Nice. Now, this... This probably doesn't affect a lot of people, but it might affect you, Paul. So uh, Netflix is officially ending its um, DVD rental business. So I I didn't even know. Who knew? I didn't even know they still offered this service, but apparently they do. Um, but in September, it is coming to an end. It will be streaming only. I. <laughs> Who knew? I, that's extraordinary. Knew? Indeed. Indeed. Uh, over at uh, HBO, or Max as it's about to be called, they have just greenlit another Game of Thrones uh, prequel series. Um, this one is going to be based on the tales of Dunk and Egg, and it's currently titled A Knight of the Seven Kingdoms. So this is set about 90 years, I believe, before Game of Thrones as we know it. So interesting to have a, another Game of Thrones spin-off Um ramping up and probably coming to our screens sometime in 2024, I imagine. So that's three, Dan, now, because you've got House of Dragon. You talked about another one last week or the week before, and this is a third. Is that right? Uh, no, so I think it's three. So there's, there's Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon, and then the, this one. This oh, one here. okay. There, there, okay. There, there has been – they have been um, various kind of like pilots and things produced, but this one has officially been, I think, greenlit. So there will be – One's already finished, but there's going to be two Game of Thrones, I guess, series concurrently running, which I would imagine, Paul, you know how we've been putting in all these complaints about him to wait so long. Correct. I think if you can kind of get them, you know, on opposite years, this is a good thing. I can I can kind of handle that. So we'll see what happens. Uh, what else have we got here? So Superman Legacy has entered its pre-production. So this is going to be James Gunn's kind of official kickoff of the DCU. Um, this movie is going to be coming out in July 2025. Um, interesting that it's – obviously things are moving ahead quite quickly over there at, um, at um, the DC offices, so it will be interesting to see what happens. And whilst I've got one other thing for you here, so this is uh, this is definitely going to be a service that I'm going to use along with the subtitles. So Amazon Prime is about to introduce a new feature to actually help you hear the dialogue better on TV shows. They're going to have an option, you know, where you go in to choose subtitles on or off, where you can boost the dialogue volume. I'm all about it. I'm I'm here for it. Yeah. Too many explosions. I think many... I think that's good. But counter question for you, Dan. If if you enable that function, would that mean that you can return to normality and turn the subtitles off? Negative, because I I won't be able to hear. I'm so used to having subtitles on now. It's like a core of like I just can't can't function. And sometimes the subtitles actually give me a bit of a you know they'll give me a bit of extra context or it'll kind of reference the name of the character who's speaking. And I'm like, oh, I don't know, you know, like it might be a little Star Wars like inside a tipple clue. And it's interesting. I had my my niece staying for the weekend. And she is uh, 17 and she was watching a movie and she was like, oh, I'm glad you've already got the subtitles on. She's she's already cut from the same cloth, Paul, at a young age, straight to subtitles. Bothers me. It bothers me. And it bothers me that so many people I know uh, 
turning to the dark arts of subtitles. I think subtitles are there for for those who need it. And I, I just this is like this is bringing you know we talked about going back in time and reliving life. This is bringing back uh, a real teenage vibes of everyone was smoking except for me, and I was like I don't get it. Or when I go to work, everyone's drinking coffee except for me. It's like. I'm always like I'm not on the inside of this thing, and it's another thing that the world seems to suddenly start loving. And I'm just what I'm most curious about is presumably uh, Samara is also on board with this. She's on board. We're, yeah, we're a, we're a subtitles house ball, and I think what what's <laughs> going to be interesting. <laughs> what's going to be interesting is you know like. You know, you might want to watch a movie like like Squid Games or um, Money Heist or whatever it is. And sometimes it's like, oh, I don't want to watch subtitles. But now I'm so in tune with subtitles, it shouldn't be any bother for me to watch yeah. any foreign language film. It should be just second nature to me. Yeah, so that is an advantage. I'll give you that one. Mm-hmm. But that is me, Paul. Any news from you? Not a lot for me this week, except the fact that we have a – Trailer for Strange New Worlds, which I've I've avoided watching thus far, but I may not by the end of the week. Who knows? Um, and also very excited, Michelle Yeoh is going to return as Georgia in Star Trek. So she she plays a character in the first couple of seasons of Discovery. Great character, great actress. She's gone away and got herself the Academy Award for you know everything all at once everything together all the time whatever the title is and i just i think i said a while ago you know they may have left it too late to get her back but she's back and is going to make a movie a a special movie event for star trek called section 31 which is really really exciting for the trek community i love that i love that for you guys for you guys i thought you were one of us <laughs> didn't we go through this have i got a right we'll talk off there i, I just did that to rack you up that's good, I, I'm, that's good. I'm with you you I'm know my you. trigger buttons you've hit me there's been there's been triggers coming at me you know started with superman legacy then we moved into subtitles and now you're going at the trick it's like the it's like those three things combined would be, be too much um three things in our mailbag this week dan firstly lots of love for you in the mailbag celebrating that 30th birthday of yours um from all over the place from california to somerset england from the republic of ireland to the north shore of auckland celebrating your birthday which was very nice secondly dan our review last week of where the crawdads sing that was shared on twitter by the actor taylor john smith who um played tate uh one of the lead characters in that film which was awesome and then thirdly last week's peak performance was bill paxton only two responses this week dan and they are our three two one specialists so michael chalmers north carolina three two one weird science frailty and like you peak performance was also big love and and paddy from time traveling team podcast gave us his 321, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Aliens, and the peak performance was your honourable mention, Tombstone. And that's the mailbag then. Very good shout. Shall we uh, jump into our peak performance? Indeed. So like the movie of the week, every week we take it in turns, we choose someone. There is no second choice. We just offer that one person up and say, what's the best thing they've ever done? And this week, Dan, you've put on the table for us Johnny Depp. 
I have indeed. So controversial for some, but he, he does have a a rather deep back catalogue of movies. And, and another person I'm surprised we haven't talked about so far. So I'm, to be honest with you, I've been really struggling. He's got he's got so many great movies that I, I want to give him a shout out for. But alas, there can only be two. So I'm going to go for my honourable mention. I'm going for 1990s classic Edward Scissorhands. Um, classic Tim Burton movie. I think Johnny Depp, Emo Kid with Scissors for Hands. How could you go wrong? Um, just such a, a great classic movie. Still good to this day. Um, and just a, a weird and wonderful concept. And I think this is kind of back in, and the, the Johnny Depp prime, like, you know, we're coming out of like, uh, 21 Jump Street where, you know, he's kind of like really kicking off his movie career. And I just think it's a, a fantastic movie that is, is still good today. So honorable mention. For my peak performance, I'm going to go with 1997's uh, Donnie Brasco. So this is a, a great sort of mob mafia film where Johnny Depp plays a, an undercover FBI agent. And he, he does it alongside a um, fantastic cast of Al Pacino and, and Michael Madsen. And I just remember from the very first moment of seeing this film, both being impressed and worried for, for Johnny Depp in this role as an undercover FBI agent, and it's really sort of stood the test of time for me. So, honourable mention, Edward Scissorhands, peak performance, Donnie Brasco. How about you, Paul? Yeah, strong choices, and like you say, there is a lot in there to, to pick out. It's uh, it's only when you sort of actually take the time to scroll on through and think, oh, wow, yeah, that's right, and you can go back, you know, quite a way for, for, for Johnny Depp. He's, um, he's got quite a bit there, but we are going to have two new things to talk about here um which is always great my honorable mention i'm going with 2009's public enemies which i think is an overlooked movie i really do michael mann directing this and opposite christian bale so kind of like a taking that sort of energy that he brought to to heat and in a, but in a gangster movie um about the notorious you know john dillinger it's a movie that I am well aware of is criticized as being boring or slow or tries too hard, you know, to create like this backdrop rather than focusing on the story. And to a large extent, I agree. But what I love about peak performance then is it doesn't have to be a movie that you necessarily rate that hard. It's all about that performance. And I just thought Johnny Depp was so good at portraying this, that gangster figure in a way, in a way that if they'd miscast his role, the whole thing would have fallen apart, even with Christian Bale in the other corner. And I think Johnny Depp, or at least at that time, had a look that really sold that sort of like slick, well-dressed criminal like John Dillinger. So that's my honourable mention. Haven't watched it in a long time, but definitely stuck with me as a, an impressive performance. But the peak performance, and this, funnily enough, actually was one of those peak performances where I knew straight away what my choice was was going to be. It was the honourable mention I had a trouble with. This is 1998's Fear and Loathing Las Vegas. Um, as Raul, he, this is a performance like no other. And if you haven't seen this movie, and again, possibly one that fell under the radar, um, if if you think if you think that Johnny Depp is, uh, you know 
if if you think he looks like he might actually be drunk in real life when he's playing Captain Jack Sparrow and, and the pirates, then watch this movie and see if you think he's under the influence in this because he's he's outrageous in this. He, his delivery of every line in this movie is just incredible. His voice in this, he does something really wonderful with his voice where he becomes like almost like the voiceover guy from the 60s Batman series and a 1950s American newscaster. So good. Nice. So good opposite Benicio Del Toro and Tobey Maguire. And my reaction to, I just watched the trailer of this this afternoon, was similar to my reaction the other day when you were talking about In Bruges and just thinking, oh, yeah, this is an absolute classic. 25 years old and due a rewatch. So, yeah, Public Enemies and Fear and Loathing, Las Vegas. Those are very great shouts, Paul, um, and amazing that neither of us brought up um, Pirates of the Caribbean. I'm, I'm looking forward to the mailbag next week to see what else people bring to the table. Indeed. Well, that probably brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures podcast. Indeed. Thanks, as always, for listening in. Let us know what you thought about The Mandalorian. Let us know your peak performance for Johnny Depp and get in touch with us across our social media channels. Also, a very special shout-out to our Patreon producers, Samara Whiting-King, Diana Kanawa, Trisha Brady, and Michael Chalmers. If you, too, would like to become a Patreon of the Half Measures podcast, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.